So we rejoin Virgil and Dante in the second canto with Dante close to Virgil, just following him behind and noticing now that the day is ending, the night is rising, the shadows are lengthening, darkness is coming down, creatures are disappearing for the night and Dante increasingly feels alone with the battle that he must, he must commence. He tells us that he will try to do so with a memory that's unerring. This is a really interesting point again where Dante the poet and Dante the pilgrim are identified as the same person. He's beginning to intimate very clearly that this is a journey he's actually gone on as well and that he's now going to tell us. And the next thing he does um, in this sort of fear of the darkness is call down on the muses, oh high genius, he says. He's asking for all that's available to come and help him, both with the telling and with the journeying. And I really like this idea that in the fullest, richest sort of spiritual ecology of the world around us, both past and present, we can call on all that's available to help us, um, even if they feel like they come from a former time, such as the kind of urgency um, and the needs, but also the desire um, that Dante is trying to convey to us at this point. It's all there to help us if we call upon it, O oh muses, O oh high genius. But then he turns and begins to question himself and ask Virgil directly, you know, is he trustworthy? Can he really see what he's been called to see? Can he really engage with what he's been called to engage with, engage with and could communicate it to others? Um, why me, he starts to ask. Surely it should be another. And I think this is the, the genuine anxiety of the prophet who begins to see quite what he's been asked to undertake. Um, you see it throughout the Hebrew Bible um, in the New Testament too. Um, part of doubt is not just to doubt um, what's there, not just to doubt that you can see it, but to doubt yourself to the very core. And this is the, the, the aspect of the early stages of this initiation that Dante turns to now. Um, he notes that other people he knows of have been asked to enter the underworld, and he talks of two particularly. One is Aeneas, who of course Virgil knows a lot about, having written the Aeneid. Um, and then one is Paul, Saint Paul. Um, Aeneas goes into the underworld, there sees the pitiful state of humanity. And for him, before the Christian dispensation, this stirs up a sense of moral need, moral purpose, um, by seeing how those in the underworld disappear, unless they've been morally upright. Um, he brings together all that he's going to need to found the city of Rome, which of course in the mythology is what Aeneas did. Um, whereas Paul sees something slightly different. Um, this comes from his account in the letters to, Cor to the Corinthians about how um, he was the chosen one who rose to a higher heaven. Um, in the medieval telling of this story, and this also involves seeing the dead. Um, but what Paul gathers from this sort of exceptional experience this out-of-body experience, this ecstatic experience, um, is not so much a kind of moral um, conviction, but is a spiritual sight, um, a kind of spiritual comprehension of what's required. Um, I, I like this difference. It speaks to what I think is an evolution of consciousness that the Christian dispensation brings about, and that in a way Dante is trying to understand and to communicate to us, um, which is where we're called as individuals 
um, to, to see all that's possible um, of divine life um, and to, in, in, to, you know, to, to, bring it, to live it ourselves. Um, whereas I think the early dispensation had been much more um, ha as individuals standing before the gods um, and trying to cultivate our own heroism, as it were, by our own moral standing. So there's something um, of the difference between um, Aeneas um, and Paul, which is, is beginning to be teased out, signalled here quite what the new dispensation under Christianity is about. Um, it, leaves it leaves Dante at this point feeling even more in trepidation when he thinks about Aeneas and when he thinks about Paul. Um, he says that he now is willing to unwill what previously he had willed. Um, Dante likes these circumlocutions um, that communicate, show in the poetry um, what will is like. Um, you know, our human will um, twists and changes. Um, it can unwill as much as it can will. Um, it speaks a lot to the inner struggle that Dante's um, undergoing at this point. Um, but also saying something about what will is about. You know, it's not free will as often in the sense we mean it now, um, which is just the freedom to choose as if we decide and then that's it. I mean, it's something much more subtle. Um, it's something about really the direction that we're turned in. What are we looking at, you might say? Um, so we don't have to will the whole thing. and um, We just have to be conscious and aware of what direction we're turning. Broadly speaking, are we turning towards the good, towards the divine, or are we turning away from it out of fear, um, maybe towards something else, maybe not towards anything very much? Um, it's what in the Ignatian exercises is, is understood as discerning whether we're turning towards consolation, that which is expansive of life, or desolation, that which is thinning and emptying of life. And Dante is, is thinking about that here. He's wanting to turn away um, in his dread and his fear. But then Virgil makes this very powerful intervention. He cuts right across what Dante has been saying and says, Do you know, it's not your modesty. It's not your self-doubt that is the problem here. Um, it's cowardice. And you're resisting being called to all that you might be called towards. Um, there's quite a lot of these start to appear through the journey that um, when we feel that Dante might be in need of some consolation or some comfort, and both Virgil and then Beatrice um, later on tell him that actually um, he needs to be a lot stronger. Um, he needs to um, realise all that he is as a human being and all that human beings are capable of, which is nothing less than divine sight. Um, Dorothy L. Sayers in her translation puts it rather nicely when she says that his first quick zest, his first quick zest goes. Um, that sort of energy that can rise and fall um, and isn't really um, aligned with the spirit of all that human beings are capable of. Um, uh, but this is your calling, Virgil says now, as it were, oh, oh human. Um, you must want more and more, actually, not less and less. Um, this is um, the part of us that can desire um, to consume the world in bits and pieces, sort of safe sections, you might say, um, where we feel we understand, we feel safe, and where we, um, we, can, we feel we have a, no, a sense of what we're owning and possessing. Um, but Virgil is saying, no, 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 you must want it all. Um, you must want, as it were, life flowing through your very veins, to use um, the expression of Thomas Traherne, the poet, who was also onto this. Um, you know, look higher, keep your eyes um, fixed um, to the sun and to the stars. Um, that's no, that's the place that you're going. Um, 
Another way that uh, Virgil puts it in this section is he says um, that um, we shy at our shadow and we catch a sense of the dark side of ourselves, the parts which we don't really know, um, and we, we we're intimidated by them, much like we can make ourselves jump if we see our shadow out of the corner of our eye. Um, but we mustn't shy at our shadow, we must turn to our shadow um, to look at it and discern what it might have to show us, um, because in a way that is the way to go, that's part of the descent. Um, and we must see all that we are, including all that seems like it's wrapped up in darkness. Um, another metaphor that Virgil uses at this point is he says, um, we have a kind of unnatural river running through our hearts, um, and if we don't um, direct that river aright, it will never flow into the fullness of the sea um, that is the divine, that is, um, that is heaven. Um, instead, it will be a river that in a way runs on itself out of smaller desires, selfish gains, um, the, the narrow vision, and which is so easy to live your, your life by, and which at this point Virgil um, is um, not just challenging, but is really telling Dante he must cut across and he must arrest um, if he's going to follow this path. Now, um, Dante uh, is concerned um, and uh, comes back at Virgil, and Virgil then says, look, um, there's an even, here's a bit of the bigger picture. Um, which um, you maybe need to know about at this point. And this is the fact that Virgil has come to Dante's side because he's been called by no less than Beatrice, um, by the one that stirred up things for Dante in his early life, stirred his love, stirred his energy, stirred his desire, and that in a way, up to this point, to the midpoint of his life, um, he'd been trying to make some sense of, trying to follow. Um, but only now is he really going to and begin to know how to follow it and to how to pursue it. Um, Virgil describes himself what it was like to meet Beatrice. Um, he says that um, she was so beautiful um, that her eyes were brighter than any stars. Um, she, she, saw, she shone, as it were, with a spiritual inner light um, that the daylight only uh, mirrors and reflects. And Virgil says that immediately this beauty was so powerful um, that he implored her to command him um, to do what he must. And again, this is another reflection on sort of will and freedom, that will really is about asking what to do when you see something that's so beautiful um, that it draws you towards itself. And um, that's our freedom, that's our choice, to be able to spot um, that which is, is divine, and um, that which um, inspires us and uh, calls us out of ourselves, um, so that we can will that we should should follow what it wants, follow what it seeks. We can, as it were, get it to address us, ask ourselves what questions it's asking of ourselves. Um, that's what our freedom is, because then we can step into something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, so it's this kind of reversal of will which is beginning to be teased out again in this second canto. It's not, as it were, what my small mind might be able to choose, um, but what is what my limited mind might be able to turn towards, that's what I must will. And that's what Beatrice inspires in Virgil um, in this first sight. Another little thing I really like about this second canto um, is it starts to ask, um, although Virgil is born in the prior dispensation, before Christianity, he's a pagan, um, and so it seems um, that he is not going to be able to follow um, Dante all the way, um, as Virgil already intimated at the end of the first canto. Um, but B 
Beatrice tells Virgil at this point that his name is going to be praised in heaven. Um, that by his responding to Beatrice in this way, his name will actually be carried into heaven. And I just wonder whether this is some kind of intimation as to the, the fullness of paradise that's gradually going to be opened up um, to Dante. Um, that even people like Virgil may find a way there. Although we're told that at the moment um, he's in the suspended place that belongs to those um, who lived before Christian times. It's something about um, how this is going to change not just what we presume to know, but how we know. And it's going to be a, a you know complete evolution of consciousness, which this um, initiation is about. So I just sort of leave that hanging. There's just these moments of intimation of that there. Um, Beatrice also tells Virgil um, that Dante um, is no friend of fortune, but because his voice has been heard, his cry, his um, desperation has been seen in heaven, he is a friend of heaven. And this juxtaposition being um, not a friend of fortune, but a friend of heaven is important too, um, because fortune's wheel is about to turn against Dante. Um, he sets um, the Divine Comedy in 1300, as we were saying, and this is two years before he's actually expelled from Florence and can't return for fear of his life. Um, this real nadir um, in his earthly life, um, when it really seems that fortune has turned against him um, uh, permanently and he'll never be able to return, which actually turns out to be true. But Beatrice is saying to Virgil at this point that just because fortune turns against you doesn't mean you're not a friend of heaven. There are bigger purposes um, which can be working through seeming ill luck um, in this life. And of course Dante's bad fortune turns in a way into um, our good fortune because we um, receive the Divine Comedy. Um, but also um, the struggle in Dante's life is what makes for um, his ability to see heaven and ultimately be led to heaven as well. Um, so there's a, there is a, a kind of word of consolation in here that just because you feel that fortune's turned against you, um, that doesn't mean that heaven has. And in fact, God's purposes might be working out through even apparently desperate circumstances here on earth um, that threaten nothing less than your life. And yet even Beatrice at this point wonders whether she's too late. Has her sight of Dante in heaven um, come too late to really rescue Dante um, from this midpoint of his life, from this time that he fears and in which he's struggling? Um, and I think I like these kind of details of Ollie as well in Dante because um, it keeps you in the moment. Although you know it's a comedy, although you know it has a happy ending, um, you nonetheless feel every moment of the struggle. You feel how it's fragile, how Dante's will is fickle, how he often treads on a kind of precipice and might fall either way. So even at this moment, Beatrice wonders whether she's too late. It still, you might say, takes Dante's response. It still takes Dante's courage to undergo this journey. Um, there's a both and here. Um, it's not, as it were, being just puppets of the divine, led blindly towards the light. Um, no, 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 we must open our eyes in order to see it and will ourselves forward. We must, we must make our choice too, um, seek that consolation, seek that direction. Um, and only then, as it were, can Beatrice's um, desire to help us be received, be taken in. Only then can the muses and the high genius work with us because we've aligned ourselves enough um, with their help and with their aid, with their spirit.
She herself says also, though, that another thing she's learnt um, is um, what to fear properly and what not to fear. So she says that she doesn't fear the hell that awaits them because she knows what to fear, which is, in a way, is this choice, is this freedom that we as individuals have. Um, as long as we turn towards that which seems good, as long as we turn towards that which draws us, that which is beautiful, that which we love and have discerned, um, we needn't fear anything else in life, Beatrice says at this point, and that's all we need to do. And she um, radiates that love, that beauty, to Virgil because she's become aligned with it. Um, that's the way that her life and now her eternity um, is going. Love moves her um, because she's aligned with the divine. And of course, that sense of love moving all things um, in, in heaven and earth is going to become a major, major theme further down the line. But at this point, um, Beatrice, through Virgil, does give Dante another more tangible hope because she says it wasn't just me in heaven um, that saw your dire straits and has come down to assist but no less a person than the Virgin Mary um, has seen um, your, your, your dire straits as well. Um, she who, as it were, sits at the right hand of, of the divine. Um, and um, she called on St Lucia um, in order to move and come to Beatrice. So this is kind of three ladies, the threefold movement, um, the three moments of grace, you might say, um, that are reaching down out of the heavens to come to Dante's side through his guide Virgil. You know, I think Dante has kind of given a sort of triple boost um, of spiritual hope at this point. Um, but I also like this, this, this threefold movement, partly I think because it speaks to the three beasts of the first canto, who in a way I reckon are the kind of twisted or the fallen virtues of, um, sorry, the fallen aspiration, uh, um, elements of wisdom, love and virtue. Um, and in a way, I think Mary, Lucia, um, which means sight, um, saint light, um, and then Beatrice are the kind of divine, um, true um, um, personifications of these elements. Um, Our Lady, um, it's said, um, her compassion can uh, cut through even stern heaven and what stern heaven has decreed. And that's her wisdom, um, this very subtle but very powerful wisdom. Um, that's already re always re ready to respond in the moment, um, unlike the leopard that just could dance around in the moment. Um, and then St Lucia, you know, her, um, she's um, said to be the enemy of cruelty. So she, her light moves um, with the light of love. Um, and so Dante's getting an intimation of this. And then, of course, Beatrice's beauty um, is the beauty of her virtue, the beauty of her alignment with God. Um, and so wisdom, love and virtue are invoked um, in their fullest senses as they appear to Dante in the second canto. Um, this is the hope um, which he asked for at the beginning of the canto when he called on the muses. Um, it's actually been given to him now and he feels it just enough. He feels it just enough that his will can turn and be re um, realigned once more. Um, that uh, the de darkening day um, and the troubles that stirred up in him, um, his cowardice in a way, um, that uh, it, it rectifies itself just enough at this moment, so that at the second end of the second canto, we come to a very beautiful passage um, that Dante um, uses to compare um, uh, Dante's change of mood with now. This is a very typical sort of Dantean moment, and um, when he says, as little flowers from the frosty night are closed and limp, and when the sun shines down on them, they rise to open 
on their stem. My wilted strength began to bloom within me, and such warm courage flowed into my heart that I spoke like a man set free of fear. He gathers his strength once more. He has just enough of his will to, like the flower noticing the sun in the morning, rise and look up and feel the life returning to him. I think in this moment he's also recovered something of his inner guide. You know, he knows that Virgil has stood beside him, but that in a way is not quite enough. He must also make good contact, better contact again with his inner guide, um, personified in Beatrice, but also that's his desire for that which is good, beautiful and true. Um, that's awoken within him just enough. So the inner guide and the outer guide can be aligned and working together. And so at the end of the second canto, together they do set out on the rugged road. <laughs>